As we resume our study of the Lord's Prayer this morning, we turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I want you to notice verses 20 and 21. They are footnoted in the Heidelberg Catechism's treatment of the third petition. Bless the Lord, all ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word, bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. As I indicated, we consider together this morning the third petition, and that is given exposition in Lord's Day 49 of our Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 124. Which is the third petition? Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
that is, grant that we and all men may renounce our own will and without murmuring obey thy will, which is only good, that so everyone may attend to and perform the duties of his station and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've seen before that to pray, to truly pray as Jesus taught us to pray from the heart, is not easy. It's tremendously difficult. The wicked cannot pray. The unbeliever cannot pray. We do, as part of the chief part of thankfulness by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. But our prayers are extremely difficult because they have to make their way through our sinful flesh. And if we saw that difficulty when we considered the second petition, thy kingdom come, I dare say how much more we're going to see that this morning. Thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Are you ready to pray that? Are you ready to pray that as the Heidelberg Catechism explains it? That is, grant that we and all men may renounce our own will and without murmuring obey thy will, which is only good. Are you ready to pray that? You understand that means that our own will and desires are often in conflict with God's will. That's certainly not uncommon, is it? And when your own will and desires are in conflict with God's will, are you ready to pray that he gives you grace to renounce your own will and without murmuring to obey him? Are you ready to acknowledge even when you cannot or perhaps do not want to see it that way, are you ready to acknowledge by this petition that God's will is only good? Psalm 18, verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. We may contradict that, may we? And if God's way is perfect, do you realize that this petition also involves obedience to his will? Even as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven? Again, we recognize, don't we, that true prayer, if it comes from the heart as an expression of thankfulness to the God of our salvation, must be an act of faith and the work of the indwelling Spirit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As those who are His, we know our life is only in Him. We know our dependence is upon Him. 
We long, therefore, that he teaches us to pray and shapes us as men and women and children of prayer. And so we come this morning to hear what God would teach us concerning the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In this third petition, we are taught to pray, Thy will be done. And in that connection, I call your attention, first of all, to God's will. Secondly, to our prayer that for that will to be done. And finally, to the implication. It is as we consider the meaning of God's will that we stand before the scope or extent of this petition. This petition brings us before the face of God. In this petition, we take our whole life before God's face. Catechism speaks of your life in terms of your station and calling God has given you and the duties that follow from that station and calling. And you realize that all of us are given various stations and callings in life. And that we might not overlook the importance of those stations and callings God has given us, we ought to note that when the Catechism speaks of that, when the Catechism was originally written, that term that for us is translated station is really the word office. Does that add a little weight to the life that you occupy? God has given you an office. And don't let the word office throw you as if the only office we might talk about is the, is the office of our special office bearers in the church. Let's not forget, every believer occupies the office of believer. It's tremendously important that we realize that. That's one of the great truths God used Martin Luther to restore to the church at the time of the Great Reformation. The office of believer sometimes referred to as the priesthood of believers. And Calvin expanded upon that. That's reflected in our Heidelberg Catechism. Not only in Lord's Day 12, which defines a Christian in terms of being anointed into the office of believer, but now here in Lord's Day 49, with its reference to the duties of our station, our office, and calling. As believers, we occupy an office given us by God. And that office embraces every aspect of our lives. And the more we realize that every aspect of our life is an office in our relationship to Christ, 
the more we recognize the privilege that is ours by faith, by our union to Christ, whose life we partake, the more we shall pursue the callings God has given us willingly and faithfully. Let's not overlook the fact that the Christian life is one that requires obedience to the will of God. That should never be a question to us. We are not to shy away from speaking about duties, as does the Catechism here in Lord's Day 49. A proper understanding of grace does not reject duties. In fact, it's a horribly misguided corruption of grace that denies that the Christian life requires obedience or obligation. You realize that the Christian life is not one of works righteousness. When we talk about the means by which God saves us, works has no place. He saves us by faith alone. Works don't enter the picture. We are saved by grace Through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. That's how our salvation is sure. Faith rests upon the mercies and finished work of Jesus Christ. So we earn nothing by performing our duties. But it is the expressed will of God that our faith comes to expression in our obedience. We cannot pray, thy will be done, without understanding that truth. And in fact, without desiring to obey God's will and to perform the duties of our station and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven, as we read in Psalm 103. After all, that arises out of true faith. True faith, faith which lays hold of Christ alone, and therefore faith which will also necessarily come to expression in a life of thankfulness. And let's remember, we are considering the Lord's Prayer and prayer as the chief part of thankfulness. That's the place of prayer given us in God's Word. So we rejoice in the fact that when God established and realized his covenant with us, he wrote his law upon our hearts. As he promised he would by the prophet Jeremiah. A promise we are told explicitly in Hebrews 8 was fulfilled. So We long to do his will and to live as his children. The fruit of God's covenant with us is that he gives us a part 
in his covenant, and I use the language of our baptism form, and that part is to love him, to cleave unto him, to forsake the world, to live to his glory. The office that God has given us, the office of believer, implies duty. Every office carries with it duty. So when we speak of our desire to be thankful Christians and therefore to obey God's will and to perform both willingly and faithfully the duties that he has given us, then we can pray, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And for that reason, this this third petition of the Lord's Prayer brings us before the face of God in every aspect of our life. If you are not married, your station and calling in life at this particular time is to live as before the face of God in single life. To carry out the duties of your office as one not yet married. So your perspective of single life, even while desiring to be married, is to be shaped by the prayer Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Which means also that if you are seeking to be married, you don't just look to be married. You look to be married in harmony with God's will. And if you're married, The office God has given you is that of a married person, a husband or wife. So you have duties that belong to your station and calling as a husband or wife. If you are a father, God has set before you the duties of your office as a father. You're given certain duties toward your family, including, among other things, being a godly spiritual example, a leader in the home by example and by instruction, being the protector and provider for your children. Those are duties that belong to that office God has given you. If you are a mother, God has given you a calling, tremendously important calling. Scripture makes clear that the calling of a mother in the home is tremendously important. And that office as a mother begins from the moment of conception as you carry that child in the womb 
with the prayer, thy will be done. When we have to discipline our children, that too belongs to our office as parents. We are to do so before the face of God. That has to temper our response to our children too. And make us more careful in how we discipline our children. We seek to do God's will. If you are married and God has not given you children, then he gives you a particular station and calling in that so that you live as a married couple before the face of God, praying thy will be done. And while I've given these examples in the home, the same is true in all our life outside the home. The Bible, God has revealed his will concerning our relationships in the workplace. In the church. How we treat one another. So I say again, this instruction and this petition brings us before the face of God in every aspect of our life. Thy will be done, Father. What is that will of God? God's will is that which he determines shall be done in heaven and in earth. We sometimes speak of his perfect plan, but God's will is more than a plan. His will is perfect. As we, as we confess in Psalm 18, verse 30, God's will is more than a plan. We make plans. And those plans might or might not come to pass. And that's because our will is always dependent, never sovereign. So we determine to do something and circumstances might prevent that plan from ever coming to pass. And when I speak about circumstances, you understand I speak of that which God brings about to direct our way. That's often the case in our lives. When I made plans after we were first married, I thought I would be in business in Cadillac, Michigan because we had made an offer on a business and that offer had been accepted. God had other plans. I spent time in the business world, but it wasn't according to my plan. I never moved to Cadillac. The deal fell through. Instead, I worked for but a few years in the business world before God called me to the ministry. Didn't plan that in high school. That wasn't in my plans as a young adult. 
But the Lord teaches us to confess, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. That's because God's will is determinative. When the Bible speaks of his will, it sometimes uses the term will or counsel or his pleasure. That will is determinative. So he spoke through his prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 46 verses 9 through 11. Remember the former things of old for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the thing that is not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. The will of God is as God himself bears all the attributes of God's own divine being. God is good, so that as the Catechism points out, His will is good, always good. God is perfect, so is His will. God is unchangeable. His will is unchangeable. God's will is perfectly wise. His will is free. It's not dependent on circumstances. Determines the circumstances. His will is almighty. Accomplishing his sovereign purpose. And how comforting that should be to us. He not only determines what is best for us. He does it. He accomplishes it. Even when we don't see it. But we should not forget that behind his will is his own desire to seek his own glory in everything. Because he's God. All the works of God are determined by his unchangeable seeking and maintaining of himself as the alone living God. The Holy One, the one set apart. My counsel shall stand and I shall do all my pleasure. Now you have heard before and, I, and realize too that God's will can be distinguished. His will is one. And it's perfect. But we can distinguish between the will of God's decree, as this decree also guides and directs our life and every trial and sorrow that we face, and his will as it expresses how he would have us live before him. In our reading of Psalm 103, we read in verse 7, He made known his ways unto Moses, 
his acts unto the children of Israel. And God expressly told Moses what he was going to do in Egypt and to Pharaoh. In leading his people out of Egypt, he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. To his people, what he had determined was his perfect will for their salvation. Which, in mercy, is from everlasting to everlasting. In the execution of his sovereign will with Pharaoh, the first few plagues were also experienced by the Israelites. So in our lives, when God accomplishes his will through history and every event in history, he does so in such a way that sometimes tries us and chastens us. And we realize that, don't we? His will is often painful for us. We have not experienced war on our homeland, but there are children of God in Ukraine, for example, whose lives are severely affected by the outworking of God's sovereign counsel, his perfect will in their war country. And I know there are those who would chafe at the statement that God's will governs Putin's attacks upon Ukraine. And when we say that God accomplishes his perfect will in destructive events in nature, such as tornadoes and flash floods, which sometimes claim many lives. Well, you can chafe, but you had also better stand before the Bible and humbly submit to God's Word. Amos 3, verse 6. Shall the trumpet be blown in a city and the people not be afraid? We might say... Shall the air raid sirens go off, announcing the approaching warplanes with all their bombs, and people not be afraid? But now this. Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? That's just one text of a multitude in the Bible that demonstrate God's absolute sovereignty in what he decrees shall be done and in the execution of those decrees. But we can also refer to the will of God as he reveals to us, his rational moral creatures, how he would have us live before him what we sometimes refer to as the will of God's command. His will prescribes how we shall live before him. He alone has the right to tell us how, as rational moral creatures, 
he would have us live. He has that right. So Jesus said, for example, in Mark 3, verse 35, For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Or 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Let me mention one more. 1 John 2, verse 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. That's something we can count on because of God's sovereign will, His decree, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And you understand, it is the way in which God works in us that brings to pass both the willing and the doing of his good pleasure. But there is that distinction of the will of God that prescribes how we shall live before him. And so we pray in Psalm 143, verse 10, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Again, that reference cannot be to the will of God's decree as we speak of it. God executes his own will according as he decrees. But we, who are his redeemed people, long to live and to do what is God's good pleasure. Having seen, then, how God's will touches every aspect of our lives, we need to consider, secondly, what is meant by this petition. When we are taught to pray, thy will be done, what does it mean to pray that God's will be done. You see, often this petition is interpreted just to refer to the will of God's commands. Thy will be done is interpreted in human terms. It's interpreted in harmony with, with Psalm 143, verse 10, teach me to do thy will. Or give me grace to obey thy will. And the Catechism seems to put its emphasis there, grant that we and all men may renounce our own will and without murmuring obey thy will, which is only good, that so everyone may attend to and perform the duties of his station and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. So you see by that answer, the emphasis is put on obedience, upon doing the will of God, upon performing our duties. Plain enough, isn't it? Even though, as we have seen before, extremely difficult. And that's why expressing our thankfulness 
we also confess our dependence upon our Heavenly Father and His grace alone in performing those duties that He has entrusted to us. But when you give this a little deeper thought, you realize that the will of God's command is so closely interwoven with what He has decreed for the pathway of our lives They are inseparable. Again, as we often say, we can distinguish certain aspects of God's revelation and of God's attributes, the attributes of his being or his work in our salvation, but we can never separate them. We can speak of our justification, for example, and examine what the Bible has to say about that wonderful doctrine, and we can study God's work in our sanctification. We can distinguish those two, but we can never separate them. We can distinguish God's will, as we have done this morning, but we can never separate the will of of his command, if you want to speak of it that way, and the will of his decree. Can't separate them. And that's evident from the fact that the very duties that he gives us, the revelation of how he would have us live before his face, are inseparable from the pathway in which he leads us. As God arranges my life and directs my paths, he has led me sometimes in ways I would never have chosen. And you find that so in your own life. Sometimes those ways are tremendously painful for us. Perhaps he places us for a time in the office. Yes, it's an office of one who bears affliction. Do you recognize that as an office? As we said earlier, an office in which God gives you a calling, duties? Trust in me, God says. Be patient in tribulation. Be fervent in prayer and so on. Perhaps he places us in one of the offices we spoke of earlier. Parenting? You who have children realize there are some real challenges, aren't there, in parenting. When God leads us in that pathway, he's doing so according to his will. He doesn't give everyone children. And he doesn't give everyone a large number of children either. But he sets before us the duties he has given us as Christian parents, chief of which is perform the office of your calling by faith in Christ. And then you say, out of gratitude to God, 
What is thy will for me in this calling? So you recognize that in every aspect of your life, God is guiding us by his counsel for our salvation and our well-being. But in that outworking of his perfect will, we not only stand before the duties that he has given us, but we are called to submit to his way with us. Single life brings with it numerous duties. But when your desire is to be married, and God has not given that to you yet, you not only stand before your duties as a young man or young woman in Christ, but you stand before the calling God has given you in that way he has led you. He's given you the calling to pray, Thy will be done, Father. I mentioned just a couple examples, but the Catechism, in its footnoted reference to Luke 22, verse 42, points to that amazing moment in Christ's sufferings when he was on his knees in the Mount of Olives just prior to his betrayal and crucifixion. He was agonizing. He was agonizing in a way that you and I have never experienced. Luke records that even while an angel appeared from heaven to strengthen Jesus, Jesus agonized In such a way, he was perspiring greatly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And he prayed the more earnestly, we read. But in verse 42, we are told what he prayed. Father, if thou be willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus knew the will of God. He knew the way marked out for him from eternity. The way of the cross. And Jesus knew what that meant. He knew that the way of the cross was was the way accursed by God. It was the death of the curse. He knew that the curse meant bearing the wrath of God in such a way that there would be a loss of any sense of God's favor. That's what that cross involved. Suspending a man off the ground meant that heaven would not have him, neither would earth. Our Lord Jesus came from the very bosom 
of the Father. He knew what God's will entailed in the cross. He kneeled in the garden. In our human nature, overwhelmed. Father, if thou be willing, Remove this cup from me. But to that eternal will of God, Jesus also would submit in perfect obedience. So he prayed, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He would submit to God's eternal will unspeakably painful as would be the pathway down which God would lead him. But submission to God's will also meant that he would obey the will of God as belonging to the office and calling God had given him. Jesus himself was praying what he earlier had taught his disciples to pray when he taught them to pray, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may renounce our own wills and without murmuring obey thy will. Now let's conclude here by considering some of the implications involved here. First of all, implied in this third petition is that we belong by faith to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. As with all the other petitions of the Lord's Prayer, you cannot pray this, except you belong to our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's the perspective of the Heidelberg Catechism's treatment of prayer. By faith, we pray this. In thankfulness to God, we pray Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And we do that knowing that the way of the Lord is perfect, marked out by perfect wisdom, the wisdom of his own divine mind. And we also do so knowing that his will reveals how he would have us live before him in a way that would serve not only to his own glory, but also for our well-being. Belonging by faith to our Lord Jesus Christ, we recognize too that if we are to pray this petition, thy will be done, we have to know the will of God. The light of the scriptures must shine upon our lives as we live before God's face. You desire that too, don't you? When you pray, thy will be done, that is, grant that we may renounce our own will and without murmuring obey thy will, which is only good, you are confessing that you truly want to know God's will 
and therefore to live in humble submission to and to do God's will. But you realize that's not easy. We know that God's will leads us every step of our earthly sojourn toward heaven. And that therefore all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. We know that. We're confessing that when we pray this. But you realize that's not easy. Although God's way is perfect, the fact is when his will clashes with our desires and when his way is not one that we would choose, we can struggle. And that struggle can be intense. God knows that we are flesh. He comes to us in our weakness and would have us call upon him in prayer. And when God leads us in the way of affliction, he would have us lay hold of our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, by faith, knowing that he will never leave us nor forsake us. But to strengthen that knowledge, he would have us pray to him. After all, he's our heavenly father who will make whatever evils he sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage as we confess back in Lord's Day 9. But we have to know the will of God as it applies to our specific circumstances. And as lazy as we can be, we might like to have a catalog or an index that we can search to address every concrete case that we face in this life. Elders might like to be able to type in a certain word or phrase, a certain situation, and, and have a computer spit out exactly how to address it according to God's will. That isn't how God deals with us. He teaches us the principles of his word. Shows us the heart of the gospel. And then applies his word from there. He would have us search his word. He would have us pray earnestly. He would have us depend intensely upon him. So we pray, thy will be done. That is, teach us thy will to do. Let the principles of thy word and the precepts that apply grant us wisdom that we do thy will. And then finally, we must recognize that praying that God's will be done implies that we often are going to have to renounce our own will. 
Our will is polluted by the sinfulness of our nature. Our will is veiled by the darkness of our earthly-minded perspective. That's why the Catechism explains this prayer in part as a prayer for grace that we may renounce our own will. And that's to place our will in complete submission to the will of our Heavenly Father. That makes prayer difficult, even while so important. You see, our sinful flesh would deceive us into thinking we know best. That we are quite capable of determining our own way and seeking that which is good and helpful to us spiritually even. But it is deception when we displace God by putting our own will and desires at the center of our life and actions. And as with all Satan's deception, those lofty goals and desires lead us into desolation and despair. We pray this, beloved, as we come to, our, to the living God as our Father, for Jesus' sake. We pray this, having been given by God the faith to see the wonder of Christ, saying, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. We come because Christ, having redeemed us, also works in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. He who delights to do God's will now lives in us, and we through him. So we pray. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Gracious Father, we humble ourselves before Thee, confessing to Thee our sins in failing to live in subjection to Thy will, and to seek that will as we ought in every aspect of life. But we also come to Thee in our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who performed all Thy will perfectly in our place and on our behalf, and who has taught us to pray from the heart, Thy will be done, Father, in earth as it is in heaven. Amen.